Uh, We come now to the close of our series on the Ten Commandments, which means we get to hear about the close of the commandments in the small catechism. The text that is quoted there is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 through 6. It says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, in the original text of the Bible, this passage is situated right after the first commandment. We've got no other gods, and then the subtext is no graven images, followed immediately by these words, this threat. But whenever Martin Luther composed the small catechism, he drew that out and he located it at the end of the commandments to make a point. Because we are to understand the commandments through this lens, the one that we just recited. That the threats and promises of God run through every single one of these commandments. Because whenever we've broken any of the commandments, ultimately we've broken the first. You shall have no other gods. So that's a little bit about why Luther took this and put it at the end of the commandments. Now let's examine the parts to this passage for just a minute. And then we're going to transition to our sermon text from Job. First, God gives threats. He is a jealous God. Not meaning that we have something that He doesn't. Jealous meaning that we belong to Him and no one else. Jealous, like a loving husband is jealous for the love and the affection of his wife. And God threatens to punish sin, make no mistake, all the way to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate him. And this was the pattern that you see carried out in the life of Israel, that whenever the fathers committed sins, their children began to walk in those same sins for a few generations until finally someone repented. So these threats are here to remind us that God is not joking about our commitment to these commandments. He actually wants us to do them. And when we disregard them, we invoke His wrath and His anger. So there's the first part. Now here's the second part. And I want it to be the focus of our time this evening because I, I think that far too often we conceive of God's law as something that only threatens us. The fact is, is that's, that's an incomplete picture. Because we've been redeemed from the condemnation of the law through the blood of Christ, and because we've been given His Holy Spirit through baptism, we are now new creations in Him, and we have this new nature. We want to do God's law in our vocations, even whenever we have to fight against the sinful flesh to do it, that sinful flesh that does not want us to do God's law. But even more than that, there's actually a promise that's attached to what God calls us to. Just as He threatens punishment for those who hate Him up to the third and fourth generation, that's as far as His wrath goes. But by comparison, look at how far His mercy goes. Steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
So if it was third and fourth generation of those who hated him and invoked his wrath, now it is thousands of generations who receive his mercy. Whenever it comes to the explanation of this text in the small catechism, Luther says that God promises grace and every blessing to all that keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. And this is where I want to meditate most deeply this evening. There are actual rewards for the good works that God calls us to. The Bible teaches this rather unapologetically. Let me be clear. I'm, this, is, <laughs> this is not to say that good works merit salvation. It's not what I'm saying. Good works do not give us something to boast about before God. It's only the righteousness of faith in Jesus that saves us and guarantees us the reward of eternal life. We have to make sure that that's where we're anchored here while we have this discussion. However, because God has now redeemed us from sin and death, because He has now made us His children, we actually live under Him in His kingdom, under His rules. And just like any household, there are rewards for obedience and the good works that are carried out by the members of that household. Whenever you call your children to do something simply because they are members of that household, a lot of times there are rewards for that type of behavior. Now, did that behavior earn their place in your household? No. No. But they're called to do those things because they belong to your household. See how that works? So this is what we see in the life of Job in our passage this evening. It's this last, it's the last verses in the entire book. So I hope that you weren't saving Job for later. You know, you've been sitting on it for a while and you've been thinking, okay, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it because I'm totally going to spoil the end for you. All right? Uh, this is the part that we often don't talk about whenever it comes to Job because Job's, his story is so tragic and it's so perplexing. See, he was this godly man who was afflicted by Satan in so many ways. And God even allowed Satan to do it. Satan had to come to God and ask him permission to do it. And God said, okay. He lost his property. He lost his children. And whenever Satan couldn't get him to curse God, he went after Job's physical health. And much of the book, the vast majority of the book, is Job having these conversations with these three friends, but also having conversations with God. He complains to God along the way, just as you and I would and do. And he comes to some conclusions about God that are ultimately untrue. But he never curses him. So what you see with Job is this wrestling through his suffering, through this vocation of suffering, this cross that God had laid upon him. And through it all, he returns to the first commandment. At the end, after God answered all of his questions, not by resolving them, but by inviting Job to trust him.
And Job repents for when he had wavered in his trust of God. And in verses 10 through 17, we see this happy ending that so often gets omitted from Job's story. God restores him twice as much as he had. His siblings who had abandoned him during his time of suffering, they all returned. They all gave him gifts. God also furnished Job with lots of livestock and seven sons and three daughters. And the text tells us the names of the daughters because it wants to emphasize to us that each of their names is associated with great beauty. He had the most beautiful daughters in the land. And he was permitted to live a happy life for another 140 years before he went on to glory. I think we tend to omit this part of Job's story because we don't, we don't want to make it sound like that the Bible is teaching works righteousness. But that's not what's going on here. It's not that Job had earned anything. Any gifts that God gives to us, any of the gifts that God gave to Job were purely out of fatherly divine goodness without any merit or worthiness in you, without any merit or worthiness in Job. But at the end of his suffering, Job did see these rewards of having God as his God and keeping the first commandment. There are rewards that God has for us. And there's two types of rewards. Two types of rewards that God has for those who love him and keep his commandments. Temporal and eternal. So the rewards that we see Job enjoy at the end of his time, at the very end of the book there, those are temporal rewards. These are the blessings that come to us in this life because we belong to God through Christ. Job bore his cross. Job walked according to God's will. He wrestled with God. He entrusted himself to his creator and he was rewarded by God in time. Now this is not to say that if you and I get sick or if that we suffer for a long time that all of a sudden we're going to become millionaires or something. I'm not teaching that. But we can trust that God has placed us where he has us. That's what we can trust. We can trust that whatever we're permitted to suffer in this life, that God has it in his hand. That because Christ came to suffer for us, now guess what? Suffering obeys him. And any cross that is laid upon us in this life, we can entrust ourselves to our faithful creator who wants to reward us in this life. He could reward us with a clean conscience. He could reward us with the love of a faithful friend. He could reward us with temporal goods and gifts. But he wants to reward us in some way. So there's that piece to it. There are temporal rewards in this life for doing what God calls us to do. But then there's also those temporal rewards that come simply because living this way, living the way that God calls us to live in this world is the wise way to live. So if you obey the fifth commandment and you abstain from punching your neighbor in the face, he won't punch you in the face. There's your reward. Now that's simplistic to reduce it down that way. But generally speaking, whenever we follow God's law, 
good and goodness and mercy follows us. Even though we live in a sinful and fallen world, and even though things often don't go our way and we're attacked by sin, the world, the devil, living the way that God calls us to live in this way does have its temporal rewards. So that's temporal. The second type of rewards are eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. And these are the ones that we fix our minds on because these are the ones that last forever. We receive these rewards both when we die and in the life of the world to come in the resurrection. Again, your good works, because the old Adam in you wants to say, oh, I can do good works and now I can get into heaven. I'm telling you, that's not what I'm saying. I have to keep saying, no, your good works don't get you into heaven. Only Jesus can do that. He gets you there. And your good works are imperfect and they're tainted with sin. And even your good works have to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. But that doesn't mean that you stop doing them. That means that you do them even more. Because even on your worst days, the worst motivations of your heart, whenever you carry out those good works, Jesus takes them and He uses them. And on the last day, He will present them to His Father by His mediation and His blood. And you will hear from your heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant. So whenever Jesus, this is what Jesus is getting at. Whenever he, We heard from the Sermon on the Mount really recently. Whenever he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that's what he's teaching. Temporal rewards are nice and all. It's nice to be taken care of in this life, but they are easily susceptible to moth and rust. In the end, they don't get you very far. But it is not so with those eternal things that God has for those who love him. I encourage you to revisit these commandments and keep them keep going back to them often. Learn and memorize them. Stay in your catechism even if you've been in your catechism for 60 plus years. Stay in it. Live it. Know it. Be it. God urges you to do so. You know what Luther says in the large catechism is is if we get bored with the Commandments, the creed and the Lord's Prayer, commandments, creed and the Lord's Prayer. He says, God can think of nothing better to teach. He does not get tired of teaching this. And as you commit yourself to these things, you realize more and more how much you fail and you cannot keep them as you'd like. I can't keep them as I'd like. And whenever you do, run to the arms of your Savior whose blood is always sufficient to cover every single one of your failings. Confess these sins. Receive absolution. Eat the body and drink the blood of your Lord. Draw strength from His promises in the gospel. And as you do, you will find that your love for Him grows. Your love for your neighbor grows. And you will want to see His will done even more in your life. So may the Lord grant us the grace of His Spirit to walk in His commandments, to turn to Him for forgiveness whenever we stumble. May He accomplish this in us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.